Greetings, in Jesus' name. Think of that song that we sang. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Now, I don't know, I have read about, a little bit about the author of that song. And uh, the theology of that author that she had, I think it's a woman there that I didn't even check now, but but I know where the theology came out of there. I didn't check today. I didn't have the songbook in my hand, but there was this um, pretty strong movement in the uh, probably more like the whatever well, a, a a strong section of time, maybe late 1800s and well into the 1900s of the entire sanctification movement where you actually come to a place where you no longer are bothered very much by sin. You're sail above sin. If you look at that song, it has those elements in it. We sing the song because we sing it as idealism. This is where, this is my ideal. Yes, Lord, you have promised perfect peace and rest. And Lord, yes, Lord, I shall cast my cares on you. The song is written as if that is an accomplished fact. <laughs> and there are a number of songs that are like that, that we can sing with a little different slant than what the author originally wrote it in, and we're still blessed by it. Because I like that song. It's a beautiful song. It it lifts me up. It reminds me of the Lord, reminds me of his promise to not a blast of hurry, not a a care or whatever to how the song goes. Um, yes, that's, I need to trust you, Lord. I need to lay my burdens on you. <laughs> and so that's a blessing, that song. Um, and we have, this is, the, uh, this is Thanksgiving week. We just had today of Thanksgiving on Thursday, and we have a lot of things to be thankful for. And uh, was mentioned already, for his mercy endureth forever. I um, went to bed early, fairly early last evening, knowing I would probably get up early this morning. And I was dreaming that I had a headache. I was dreaming I had a pretty bad headache. And then I woke up, I had a pretty bad headache at midnight. So... um, Went out and took an aspirin and went back to bed. And this morning woke up fine. So thank the Lord. He's merciful. And uh, I'm here. And thank you. We have a church to come to. That we have people here. People here who love each other. Who care for each other. We have a lot to be thankful for. Now if you could. Let we all just stand up for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your care for us. Thank you for your word, which directs us how to receive and how to experience your care and your peace. How to experience, like was read again also in the open sharing, how to receive peace, peace of heart, peace of mind, and assurance that you will never leave us. He will be with us to the end, Lord, because you are such a God. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, now in this part of the service that you would bless us. Bless us as your people. Inspire us, Lord, to love you, to serve you. And, Lord, use us to bring glory to you in our lives, in our experiences, Lord, through the positive things and the negative things of life. Lord, help us to bring glory to you. Lord, you are faithful. Help us to be the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am taking a break from my study in First Peter to deal with 
the uh, event that's coming up in our congregation of choosing a deacon. And uh, the title is Deacons, Deacons Must Be. Now, that's a play on words because uh, we have need for a deacon, so we must have one, right? <laughs> and the other is, is has the qualifications of deacons, and it starts with uh, deacons must be. And uh, we could keep the message short this morning by just looking around the room and seeing which one of the men has a halo over his head, and then you choose him. <laughs> But uh, it's not. That's not how, how God works. That's not how um, God actually does ask us to um, to look. We had the need of the service of a deacon, so we must have one. And then the one that we choose needs to be of the character that is outlined in the scriptures. The deacons must be in Philippians one. First chapter, uh, don't turn there, just the first verse of Philippians 1, we have uh, this verse here, the introduction to the Philippians, says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And here is where you actually have the three different categories of Christians. You have saints. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. <clears throat> you have been chosen. You've been set apart and you're dedicated to God. <clears throat> so that's, that's the one category of a Christian. And, and to be a saint, there are actually some qualifications. Did you know that? To be a saint, you need to be born again. You actually need to believe in Jesus. You need to be baptized. That's a big difference in how, how that, when and how that happened. But you must turn away from sin. You must be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And you need to be accountable to others. And you can go to Matthew 18, where it talks about, um, that if someone sins against you, that's supposedly a saint that sins against you, a brother sins against you, a sister. And you go to them, and they don't respond. You go with several, they don't respond. And then you go take it to the church, and if they don't respond, that person no longer meets the qualifications of a saint, and he's no longer one. So there are qualifications to being, uh, that you need to meet some qualification to be a saint. Then out of those saints, there are a few specific positions. Elders and deacons. Now, we are a church group that has accepted the two offices that we see in the scripture. Uh, that's pretty, as we look in First Timothy uh, chapter 3, which we'll look at later this morning, and also in Titus 1, we see uh, elders, which are also called bishops, which are also called overseers, and we see deacons. We see two offices. Now, I'm also familiar with the, the churches that have three-tier leaders, which is bishops and ministers and deacons, which would be the Mennonites and the Amish. And then there's many different kinds of church administrations in the various evangelical churches and so on around us. And I'm some that I'm not familiar with. But they have pastors, they have deacon boards, they have ruling elders, they have teaching elders, and they have a number of different. In fact, a very common one is to have a church that has a board of deacons which actually basically run the church, which um, they do the hiring and the firing of the pastor and that kind of thing. But we, as a church group, have accepted the idea that the Bible describes two different positions or offices. And this morning, the focus will be on the deacon. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm sure you're all aware of it, that we're planning a deacon ordination in February. It's the reason for the message here. So what does the word deacon mean? It's actually a transliteration from the Greek. 
the diaconos. Are there any Greek scholars in this room this morning? If I say things wrong, nobody will. There are certain words that are just simply translated from the Greek, like a bap- baptism is another one of them, baptismo or something like that in the Greek. So there's a number of a word that are just simply transliterated, it's called. But the word diakonos and a, a few variations of that simply mean a servant. And it's used all over the New Testament. That he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant, diakonos. And that being a servant is for everyone young and old, male and female. Uh, it's in verb form. It's in noun form. And what we're looking at this morning, it's in proper noun form. A deacon is an office. And so in a, in a sense, it's a proper noun. That's what we're looking at this morning. But the word itself is is throughout the New Testament. In John... 12:26 it says three times in this one verse in various forms if any man serve me let him follow me and where i am there shall my servant be also if any man serve me him will my father honor and as a noun the servant as a noun it means an attendant a waiter a servant an errant runner Someone who conser- who serves in some capacity. And I thought I'd read the first place the verb form is used in Matthew, in, uh, in, in the New Testament, which is in Matthew 4.11. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And I use this verse, well, first because it's the first time it's used. I like, I like to look at where words are used so I could understand them. And so ministered is the word. That's the, the, the diakonosed. <laughs> That's probably not correct, but diakonosed unto Jesus. The angels did. And I use it because lest anyone gets the idea that um, a deacon is only a little errant boy. Only a lowly servant. Well, we could actually make a case of being lowly. <laughs> but just 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 a deacon. Because being a deacon and ministering to people is not an unimportant work. Here here in this case you had Jesus fasting for 40 days, and he was probably pretty close to starvation. And so he probably needed food, but he needed more than food. He needed some comfort. He needed some reassurance. He needed some companionship. He needed some encouragement. He needed some hope. The angels came, and they brought, they ministered to him. What did they bring food? I don't know, but they met his needs, and it was angels that did that. Being a deacon, whether you are an official deacon or whether you're serving in a church, is angels' work. Awesome. And it's used very widely. The servant that filled the water pops water pots for the first miracle that Jesus did. They were deacons. The government is a deacon, minister. Jesus himself was a deacon. He's a minister all his life. He ministered. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we have angels are deacons. The servants are deacons. The government's a deacon. And Jesus is a deacon. And if we would keep on looking the elders are deacons and basically the congregation were all uh, yeah the apostles were deacons that was the word I wanted the apostles were deacons and so are the elders 
And so we're all to be deacons. We are to be a congregation filled with deacons. So when we talk about ordaining a deacon, since we're all supposed to be servants, what are we talking about when we're talking about ordaining a deacon? Since we're all deacons by virtue of following the Lord Jesus, what is it about the church that has need of a specific man to be a deacon? What's that? Well, in either place where deacons are mentioned specifically, that's in only two places. In Philippians 1, which we read, and Timothy 3, which is going to get to qualifications, and neither of those places is the work described that a deacon does. We're not told what they do or what their job description is. And were it not for the, the, um, the situation recorded in Acts 6, we wouldn't really know really well what they're supposed to do in the scripture. Uh, in Acts 6, they are not called deacons, but they, the men that are chosen there are, they deacon. They are, they just fit the description that they're, they're, a, they're chosen, they're appointed, they are chosen on basic qualifications, and they're chosen, and they're given a, a job and a position and all that. So let's turn to Acts chapter 6 now, the first scripture that you can turn to. Starting at verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, it's not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Uh, this is a very informative passage because here we have the, the early church, the church in its infancy, as a powerful, dynamic, growing, witnessing, moving church. <clears throat> it was... The disciples, they were multiplying. And the apostles, those 12, were responsible for this new organism. They were charged. The apostles were charged with establishing the foundation. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And they were charged with laying the rest of the foundation. They were given the charge to be a witness to the Lord Jesus, to his death to his, his life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection. And then they had baptisms, and there was the breaking of bread from house to house. There was the preaching. There was teaching. And there was discipleship. There was conflict with government authorities. And then there was some discipline, like Ananias and Sapphira, and maybe there was others that we don't know of. And then there were complaints. There were coming, and, and there were valid complaints. There was this group of widows who was falling through the cracks. And so you have 
this widow's and hypothetical situation where one says to another, Anna, did you get your food today? And she says, Salome, no, I didn't, Salome. In fact, I didn't get any since last week. And then Anna says, well, but when we were at church, <laughs> I don't know how they would have explained it back then, but we were at church, um, Mary, she gets her food every day. Well, why aren't we getting our food? I'm surviving by begging from my neighbors. And so you have this, they're getting it, we're not getting it. And so you have this complaints coming and they come up to the, to the level of the apostles. There arose that, a murmuring of the Grecian against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now up to this point, it seems like the apostles were doing everything. Uh, they were they were doing everything I mentioned, and they were also uh, taking care of the poor. Taking care of the poor is a responsibility for the church to take care of your own. That is the Lord Jesus is clear in His teaching that you take care of poor people. So it it was it was a necessary uh, work of the church. But now, after these complaints come, the apostles realize there needs to be a division of labor if we're going to do everything. We have a charge of the Lord that we may not neglect. The Lord also did charge us to take care of the poor, but he did not tell us that we personally need to take care of the poor, that we personally need to be in charge. So it can it 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 must be done, but it can be done by others. And so the twelve called the disciples together and they just said, you know, it's not it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and run a food program. So they told him to look out for some men, but we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that's what they did. We read about it. That's what they did. And this division of labor became a normal Function of the church from there on. That's the example that we actually have from scripture. It became the standard format for congregational structure for the church. In time, the elders replaced the apostles with the responsibility for the organizational structure of the church, for prayer, for preaching, for discipleship, for doctrinal purity. Now, it's not that none of, it's not that None of you can't be responsible for that. All of you can be um, <clears throat> you can care and have an impact on the organizational structure of the church and for prayer and for preaching or even teaching in certain formats, for discipleship, for doctrinal purity. That's for the entire congregation, but the elders are given the charge it stops at their feet uh, they are eventually and ultimately responsible for that and they are not to neglect their duty so as was established in the early church in the scriptures we aim to continue that today and so we aim to appoint another deacon to assist in the practical work that comes with the organization of this congregation. So that is an answer to why do we need deacons. According to the biblical instruction and example, it is an approved division of labor. It's for the health and well-being of the church. So deacons must be now the other must the apostles and in the acts the apostles were told to appoint or to choose 
qualified men. They were, they were, they wanted seven. We need one. We need one. Whom shall we choose? Who shall we lay hands on and appoint to this work? It's, 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 it's a little interesting. I don't know if it has to be that example as it was in Acts, but the congregation chose the men. Then the elders, in a sense, is there, is there, is there anything like, it's not like any one person was in charge of it. <laughs> the congregation could not appoint them without the elders, and it seemed like the elders couldn't appoint them without the congregation. That it was, it was a combined effort between the two of them. And uh, I don't know if that exactly has to be done, but that is exactly how we do it also. It's chosen from among the congregation, by the congregation, and then there's, a, there's a, some kind of examination that goes on before the elders lay on hands. And it's a blessing when there are many who can be called to the work. When there are many qualified and able to fill that charge. <clears throat> so, you can turn to 1 Timothy, where we actually find the qualifications. And I had mentioned earlier how... Um, that deacons are only mentioned two times in the scripture, which is in Philippians, and then here in First um, Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 8. But there's nothing special about this word. This word deacon is simply the word servant. There's actually nothing different. So uh, the translators of of the scriptures... I actually don't know exactly what was behind the scenes, but they, for some reason, did not translate the word servant, but they kept the transliteration here. Like it's a, it seemed like they recognized this is a distinct person, different than all the servants. There's a distinct office here. Because there's no, if you just simply translate words, you could just say, uh, verse, verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, likewise must the servants be grave. But then again, that gives no designation. So they used this different English word that gives it a special name for a special office because they recognized it. The translators, and it's true, they, they know that the qualifications given to this person is not specifically required of every other servant in the church. These qualifications are for a specific and identifiable office. <clears throat> now, when it comes to qualifications, um, there very similar uh, that the elders have more, but uh, we'll get to there later. There's actually a bridge there. The only thing that is majorly different between a deacon and an elder is the lack of the requirement of the apt to teach, which an elder has that requirement, an apt to teach. A deacon does not have that. That doesn't mean that he cannot teach and that he doesn't even have the gifting. It's just not a specific requirement. But it's basically looking for a man who has the same character and qualifications as an elder does. Because the money that used to be laid at the apostles' feet are now going to get laid at the deacons' feet. They are to be trustworthy because they are entrusted with some of the same things that the, uh, the apostles were. So let's read 1 Timothy 3, starting at 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, 
not greedy of filthy lucre. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also be, also first be proved, then let them use the office of the deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, like I had said, as far as character, deacons are to resemble elders, and that's because of that first word there in verse 8 is the word likewise. That's a bridge word. That's referring back to the qualifications of the elders. And then you have the word must. Likewise, must. Now, if you have a Bible who uses italics, you'll see that word is in italics. That means that word is not in the Greek. Okay. So why did I say deacons must? And I used it in my title, and it became part of my title, and now my title falls apart, right? <laughs> no. There's actually a reason because it's implied, and there, there's a reason for that. Um, so when, uh, and you're probably familiar, most of you are probably familiar, but maybe you younger ones are not. And if you find a word in italics in your Bible, which most Bibles have that, not all do, but if you have it in italic, that means it's a filler word that isn't actually in the Greek. So it would actually read like this. Likewise, the deacon's grave. That is actually how it would read specifically in Greek. But if you go back to verse 2 of chapter 3, and here it is, a bishop then must be blameless. Do you notice, if you're there, that that one is not in italics? And then in verse 4, now... Verse 7, moreover, talking about the elder, he must have a good report. Again, that's not in italics. So then he comes to 8, and that bridge word, likewise, the must is strongly implied. So it's, it's, it fits, even though it's not in the Greek. I just wanted to bring that out in case everyone's wondering, well, that's in italics. No, it, the implication is these are... Uh, qualifications that are required, it must be. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about that must be, just a little bit here. We have time this morning. I'm going to look at a few verses. Uh, I like to look often when I do a, a word study, look in my English is it Englishman's, whatever, that, that, uh, that book that I used, that wherever else that Greek word is used in the English, and I found a few others. I'd like to just broaden us a little bit. Uh, uh, deacons must be. Uh, in Matthew 27, in 25, 27. No, no, not that one first. That was next. Matthew 16, 21. Talking about Jesus. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem. It was required that he go to Jerusalem. It was part of the prophecy. It was part of the plan. It was essential that he goes to Jerusalem. And that's, that's what this word means. Uh, in Matthew twenty five twenty seven is the parable of the talents. And it's a little bit different slant here. That, uh, that the one that had just buried his talent. He was reprimanded, and this is part of the reprimand. Whatever, he said, "Thou oughtest therefore have put my money into the exchangers, that at my coming I would receive mine own with usury." 
thou oughtest. Oughtest is the word. It, it was your obligation. Uh, it was not open to whether you should or not. You actually should have done it. It was a moral duty. And one more is after the prodigal son came back. And then the older son was not happy about that. And the father went out and talked to the older son. And he said, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and alive again, is lost and is found. It was meet. It's the word. <laughs> Must. It was completely, it would have been completely inappropriate not to do that. Because he was dead now he's alive, he was lost, now he's found. Based on the circumstances, it would have been wrong not to celebrate. So that's the idea that we have. It's a strong, it's an obligation. It's appropriate and proper that the deacons meet these qualifications. So it's a strong moral obligation, obligation from God to follow through with these directives. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? So what should a, uh, a deacon be like? Well, he should be grave. The man of dignity, a man of reverence, a man worthy of respect. Someone who takes life and the issues of life seriously. Someone who's not flippant or silly or the class clown. He's a respectable man. Now, a deacon can enjoy himself and have a good time. It's even all right for a deacon to have a party. As we read there in the uh with the the prodigal son. He can en- he can enjoy a feast. He can even host a feast. He definitely can go to one and he can laugh. But I don't think He watches comedies. (laughs) I think a grave person distances himself from foolishness and frivolity and probably most horseplay. I don't know. There's a I want to be careful where where to put that because there's a place for humor. There's a place to put. To pull jokes on people. <laughs> there's, uh, there's all of that. But this is not what characterizes his life. Uh, there was uh, actually a, um, a number of points that I had found somewhere. I think his name was Joel Beakey, but I, if I remember right, I don't have to hear. But I had thought about using it as an outline for a message sometime, but I never could pull one together. But it has six points here, and uh, and the whole thing about grave is is incorporated in this, as well as a few more points besides grave. But the number one is being serious about life in an amused world. As you talk about amusement, our our world lives in amusement. A great person is being serious about life in an amused world. Living consistent in a foolish world. Guarding a healthy mind in a sick world. Staying tender-hearted in a cruel world. Sober and maintaining balance in a compulsive world. And finishing hopefully in a despairing world. So this deacon, one of the qualifications is that he is a grave. He is respectable. He is serious about life. He can have, he can enjoy life. He can, he can laugh. 
he can have the proper way, but it's, he's not characterized by silliness, foolishness, frivolity, and amusement. Not double-tongued is the next qualification, which meaning means saying one thing, saying one thing and doing another, or saying one thing to one person and another thing to another person. Basically, you can say it's a man who is honest, a man whose word can be counted on. If he says he will do it, you can expect that he will do it. It's a basic integrity in his speech. Men who make promises and don't keep them or say things that they don't mean are not qualified. Obviously, there's not perfection in these things, but that, that that is the heart. You probably heard of the story of the one deacon who was not qualified, right? A man came up to him and began to tell him how he sees things. And the deacon said, yep, I, right, that, right, you're right, you're right. His wife is watching him. <laughs> Another man comes up and says exactly the opposite. And he, the deacon says, yep, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're exactly right. After he leaves, the wife comes up and says, that's not right. They can't both be right. You said they're both right and they're opposite. That can't be right. And he said, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Not not a good qualification, okay? Now, I know that is a challenge. To say the same thing to, the, to different people. You understand the challenge. I'm sure you do. But we're looking for a man with basic integrity of speech. Not double-tongued. Not given to much wine. Now, that on the surface means someone who never gets drunk. And and I don't know, you could look in the cultural situation of their day, and they, they say what well, they actually often drank uh, grape juice or they drank wine with a very low alcoholic content, a little bit maybe like some kombucha might be today. Um, a, a healthy type of drink, so to speak, low-calorie Oh, I don't know if it was or not. Grape juice isn't. But um, so in in context, not given that much wine, it's someone who actually can drink that grape juice or that wine and doesn't abuse it. But below the surface, it's someone who is disciplined. You're looking for a man who is disciplined, someone who doesn't have the various addictions that humanity can fall into or wade into today. Today, back then, you had to prepare your food. It was a lot of work to get food, generally. Today, it's just, well, it just crowds in on us on every side. And so, one of the addictions today can be food. It's something we always have around but we're not to be controlled by it and not out of control with it or any other obsessions or addictions in body or spirit. So look for a man, look at his physical appetites. We all have physical appetites, eating, drinking, sleeping, hobbies, work. But, a deacon is one that's not given over. Given over means he's, he's, he's in, under the control of these appetites. He has self-control and discipline and power. Paul said, he said, I buffet my body and keep it under lest I myself be disqualified. Now, what would he be disqualified from? Would he be disqualified from being an uh, an apostle or a Christian or both? I don't know. 
one or the other. But the Apostle Paul knew that the physical appetites must be controlled. And if they're not controlled, there is a disqualifying that happens. So when you're choosing someone, someone who is not controlled in their appetites is disqualified ahead of time. So a deacon is to be one that is not given to much wine. A deacon will be dealing with people who will have problems. <laughs> Imagine, that must be some of us, right? <laughs> a deacon will be dealing with people who have problems. One thing you don't want is a deacon who's dealing with the same kind of problem that you have, and you're getting him to help you, and he has the same problem. That's So you want someone who can actually, uh, who's actually not in the same problem that you might have. And uh, one of the tendencies of the human heart, which is us, is we like to excuse and defend ourselves. And if we see leadership doing something that we think we shouldn't be doing, but when we can have a, we can defend ourselves in what we're doing because, well, they're doing it. So, not given to much wine. <clears throat> not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, I think the heart of this is covetousness, is what I'm thinking. There's a number of ways we can go with, like, but you can think of immediately of Judas. Judas had a covetous heart. He desired money. And he got money, but it was dirty money, wasn't it? It was not clean money. It was dirty money. <clears throat> He did an unethical thing to get money. And that's pretty well what filthy lucre is. Filthy lucre is, is money that is gained unethically. Um, we'll talk more about it maybe a little bit here. But um, what you want is someone who's not covetous. You're looking for someone who can handle money well and is not consumed by it, which means money is a servant and not a master. Does the deacon have financial commitments that he's not meeting? Is he behind in his payments? Does he owe money to this person and that person and the next? Does he spend unwisely when he, when he does have the money? There's a number of ways you can go with this. And of course, the early Christians, one of the, another element is, is someone, a person who earns his money in, in an unclean way. And the early Christians uh, did not allow the Christians to keep on with certain occupations. Um, they, they couldn't continue being actors. They couldn't be in the, in the gladiators. And, and today, and I don't know what all, but like, I don't think anybody here works at a casino. And put your hand up if you do. <laughs> um, probably nobody here owns a bar. In other words, a Christian, how he earns a living should be a benefit, a, a, a benefit for society and not a detriment to anyone's life. That is clean money. That's ethical money. <clears throat> And you can go into those areas. Well, what about putting, uh, installing a roof on a bar? You know, where does that where does that come into? Or, or um, I think I had some others written down. What do you work at a gas station that sells lottery tickets? Can you do that? <laughs> well, most of the time they are open on Sunday, and we generally don't do that either, except for necessary works. But you don't want to be a used car salesman that hides the blemishes or just some kind of cover for the cars just to get it out the door. And then the next person discovers in a few months what for issues it has and they weren't disclosed. That, there's not a number of ways you could be unethical. 
Look for a man who is not covetous. He handles his money well. He's not controlled by it. And he makes his money in a clean and ethical way. Not guilty or uh, not greedy of filthy lucre. Then the next is holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Uh, you could meditate on that a while. What is the mystery of the faith? Whatever it is, a deacon is to be holding it. That means he he has it and he's keeping it. I remember um, an argument in my school days. You remember how um, you talking about arguments this morning and how they they can stick with you. Well, we were playing kickball, and I was—I uh, think I was the one who caught the ball. I was on the base. Somebody was running to the base, kicked the ball, was running to the base, and the ball was thrown to me. And if I catch the ball before the person gets to base, they're out. Well, I caught the ball, and it immediately bounced out. And then the argument ensued: Was that out or not? I had the ball, right? The ball was thrown to me, and I actually had the ball, and I was on base before the person came, but I was not holding the ball. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how we settled that one. But the person here is holding the mystery of the faith. In other words, it's someone who actually gets it and possesses it. <clears throat> What is the mystery of the faith? I don't know. I don't know if I have a the best idea, but mystery is the idea of revelation. It's what God has revealed to us that either could not be known any other way or it was not known in the past, but it's now revealed. And I think that is actually probably the best explanation the great mysteries of the faith that are revealed in the New Testament. The Jews and the Gentiles are now one body. There's no longer two bodies. There's no longer a Jewish nation and another nation. Um, you have Jesus now revealed as the Messiah. He, he died and he rose again and, he, and, he, and he, the ceremonial law is abolished. And we get right with God. By repenting and believing the Lord Jesus, he's now our king. Now we're part of a kingdom. And as part of a kingdom, we have these laws and ethics, and and we are then to express Christ's kingdom on the earth. And you have to, the mystery of the faith that was hidden and is now revealed. A deacon is one that is to be holding that mystery of the faith. He He possesses it. He understands it well. And he does it in a clean conscience, with a clear conscience. He doesn't hold that faith. Someone who doesn't hold his faith in a clear conscience is one who says, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm not doing it. That's not holding it in a clear conscience. Rather, it's a man of conviction who lives out the faith that he believes with a clear conscience. He's not just a hearer of the word. He's a doer. <clears throat> when he does wrong, he keeps the list short. And then let those let these also first be proved and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. And here is the idea that I have mentioned before of the examination. Before a person before a man gets his hands laid on, he's chosen, but before hands get laid on and ordained that there is a confirmation or approving and if he's found that he meets the qualification, then let them use the office of a deacon that way. Barnes, 
uh, a commentary says they were to undergo a proper trial in regarding to their fitness for the office in which they were to fill. They were not to be put in without any opportunity of knowing uh, what they were. It should be a certain that they were grave, serious, temperate, trustworthy men, men who were sound in the faith and who would not dishonor the office. So, they should have pretty high confidence after the, after the uh, examination that they will perform the office well. And now, after this, after the proving, we now go to the deacon's domestic life. Yes, we need to go into the home. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Now, some would say, and, and it's true, we don't want to talk about it much, that this word, let their wives, actually can simply means a woman, let the women. And some would say that it actually means deaconesses, that there's, a, there's an office for female deacons. Uh, there's a number of reasons why that doesn't fit the best, and one is simply right in the middle of talking about, about the, uh, the deacon, uh, the man, and it, it doesn't fit. <clears throat> but what is a wife supposed to be? She she actually is important in his ministry. She is needs to be grave and serious, even as her husband is. Um, she cannot be, you know, into whatever I used to work comedy. But you know, all all that frivolity. And separate it from it as well. And see, um, not slanderers, and that's that's an interesting word. I, does anybody know what the root word? If, if they would transliterate that word, what word would it be? Anybody know? Slanderers is the English. Hmm? Uh, no, not this one. <laughs> The devil, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not to be a devil, basically, with her tongue. Slanderer, accuser, devil, accuser of the brethren. Um, and here's here's a word from Ellicott, uh, a, um, another commentary. A woman's most ready weapon is ever her tongue. She is, with all her noble and generous qualities, often quick-tempered, passionate, impulsive, jealous, and this weapon, always ready for attack or defense, is too often unsheathed. Now, I trust that's not true to the ladies in this room here. It's a pretty serious indictment about women, and I don't think it's indictment, but uh, it is definitely true, but I trust that the Lord does a lot of work in your heart, has done a lot of work in your heart, and that's not true. <clears throat> but the wife of a deacon must not be a slanderer, and she needs to be faithful with her tongue. And then the next word is sober, simply self-control, like her husband. And faithful in all things, and that's sort of like a catch-all. The character of this woman the deacon's wife, the woman, is to be faithful in all things. Just a faithful woman, fulfilling her place in the home, fulfilling her place under her husband, um, a homemaker, meeting, meeting the needs of the home, and and caring for the children, and and being properly frugal with the resources that are in the home, and just a number of things that you go with that go with a, a faithful wife. The wives, it says there must be, so must their wives, but I see that a must is in italics, so it's available. <laughs> so let the deacon, so we're done with the wives there. 
that we're keeping on with the domestic here. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife. And, of course, that can refer to possibly the whole area of polygamy that was around in that day. But for all intents and purposes, it's a husband of a one-woman man. It's a, it's, a, it's a man who is faithful to his wife and is true to that one woman. He's not flirtatious. He relates properly to the opposite gender. See, Timothy was told to treat the older women like mothers and the younger like sisters with absolute purity. All purity, but it basically means absolute purity. A deacon must be someone who his wife can trust. And others too. And one that rules his own children and his own household well. It's a deacon whose children are in order. It's not a man who is passive and uninvolved in his home life. Do you see the children being trained and nurtured? And, and their behavior being trained and brought up in the ways of the Lord. Is their family worship? Are they taught to be respectable and respectful and respecting to other authority? You see, a home is quite complex. <laughs> There's a lot of things that go into running a home. You have, you have the entire structure, you got your housing, you got clothing, you got uh, finances, and I, I didn't think through it through, but then you got all these relationships, and then you have time demands, and then you have health issues, and then you have wake up and work, and uh, you just, it's a complex, running a home is pretty complex. How is a man doing in running the home? Because being a deacon is pretty complex. Because there's a lot of things, a lot of variables, a lot of issues, and and time demands, and people. <laughs> How how's he doing in the home? And then you get a little bit of an idea how he might do in a church. Being a deacon. Being a being a householder, being the head of a house, takes a lot of character and diligence and persistence and skill. And if it's done well, the fruit will show. But every one of those can be talked about as a, being a deacon. It takes a lot of character and diligence and persistence and skill. And we would like good fruit in a deacon as well. So that concludes the domestic examination, wife children, household, and you could say by extension any business, look for a man who does know how to run an organization, whether it just be his household or whether it be more. And the last verse here, for they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is actually not a qualification. This is an encouragement, and it's a promise to all who are in the sometimes, not sometimes, definitely difficult, well, it's sometimes difficult, sometimes it's joyous, but sometimes it's difficult work of serving and ministering to others. And, and I like to, in, in closing here, Extend that a little bit. So what, what they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Um, use the office of a deacon is actually one word. 
It is actually the word, the verb form of diakonos. Now it's in the context of deacons. I want to, ex- and, and it's true, but I want to, I want to read it the way it reads in the Greek. Verse 13, for they that serve well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness of the faith which is in Christ Jesus. That is for all of us who serve well. This promise is specifically for deacons, but by extension it's for all of us. If you serve well in your position of life, in your home, in your brotherhood, in at work, and in wherever you are serving, where you are serving, this promise is for you. Purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And unfortunately, I did not even meditate on what that means, so you're going to have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> I am just thinking now, what, now what, what does that mean? Purchase to themselves a good degree. And I'm not even... I couldn't even answer that. Maybe you can answer that in um, in the end if you if you have a, if you have some thoughts. So deacons must be. We need one, and we need to choose one. No, not one that has a visible halo over his head, but one who has the basic. Solid, consistent characteristics of someone who's walking with God. Someone who has walked in the grace of God and has spiritual fruit in his life. Someone with godly character and wisdom. Someone who knows how to practically live out the virtues of godliness. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're part of that church and this is part of the process. Or putting qualified men is part of the process that Jesus had in mind when he says, I will build my church. So we have part of that with us here. So may God bless you as we seek the Lord together in the in the, in the, as we're continuing in the, in the life of our congregation. So may God bless you.